Certainly good to see such a great group collected here for worship today. We are in Acts chapter 2. We encourage everyone to have their Bibles in that place. We will begin by reading the last portion of Acts 2. I'll take just a minute or two and thank the leadership here for allowing me to come to spend a few days with you and study the Word of God. I'm so encouraged by that. I'm thankful that we're getting past those points last year where we had to cancel a lot of these things, and now we're back in that flow of a fellowship in that way, and it means a lot. And I'm thankful for the good support of the members here. I have friends here. I've made new friends. I really like the way you've ordered this. You know, we started Friday, and then it finishes with us gathered to partake of the Lord's Supper together to end the meeting. It kind of has that great feel to it. Also, there's the most people are here. We end with the most, you know. Sometimes you have Sunday through Friday meetings, and it's like on Friday, you're like, hey, five people. Good to see you. But uh, we, we're, uh, we're finishing on Sunday morning worship, which is tremendous. So I'm really thankful for that. And I hope that the topic that we're here to discuss, particularly fellowship and what fellowship is and how it lives and manifests itself, I hope that it's something you'll remember and something that you consider to be useful. Uh, just something that I said this morning when we started that I'd like to begin with. I have some concerns about the spiritual but not religious movement. For a while, it seemed to be a movement that was outside of our Christian fellowship. There were just religious people in the world who were saying, it's more important that you believe in the Lord and you connect with the Lord and you know the Lord. That's what's really important. But actually, like going to church faithfully or reading your Bible or gathering in the old buildings or putting yourself under an elder's leadership, that's all pretty antiquated. It's outdated, doesn't work anymore. And so really what matters is that you've got this and this is not what it used to be. And that was something that the world talked about. But I've got to be honest with you guys. I think, I think the younger generation, even in the church, has adapted a little bit of that language. Uh, there's a little bit less commitment, I would say, to church worship and service and involvement with the church by the younger generation than maybe when I was Younger, And I've been wanting to talk about it for a long time, but that was pre-COVID. This is what I mentioned to you this morning. It seemed like when the COVID pandemic hit, this whole theory that maybe we don't need church. And maybe we don't need to interact physically and see members. And maybe the structure isn't necessary. Like we load tested that theory overnight. And we just all stopped coming to church. And the church buildings were closed. And you were told to just view it at home. And you were told that you could just kind of consume on your couch and that it was, it was really all about this anyway. And again, I told you in the class service, I know why we did that. Like we were all terrified and nobody knew what was going on. And we thought it was the end of, of the world. But I'm super concerned that there were some seeds planted in the last 18 months that we're going to be having to weed out and deal with for a really long time. We're not blaming anyone. It doesn't do any good to look back and do that anyway. It's just that now we need to see that there are people who, who are still at home. There are people who, who are less interested in worship than they were two years ago. There are some who are hungry for it, couldn't wait to get back, but there were those who weren't. And, and what I need you to see is, and I said it this morning, that any perceived fellowship between you and God that dismisses the fellowship between you and believers is not fellowship between you and God. You just can't separate the two. Maybe when we're sick or when we're scared to death of a pandemic or for a short time, but we have to keep those things going. And to help you see that, I have you in the very beginning of the church, day one of the church in Acts chapter two. And I want to begin reading in verse 42. In Acts 2, you have, verse 41, 3,000 new Christians, 3,000 people who are in fellowship with God. 
And I want us to start getting a grip on what that fellowship looks like and, and how it lives and breathes and interacts. So let me begin in verse 42 and read through verse 47. Here's what started happening once we were in fellowship. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God praising God, vertical, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, to the church day by day, those who were being saved. Now, as we get to the end of this in a few minutes, I want you to see there are three things in that read that show you what fellowship looks like in the real world. And I want you to see that. But before we do, I want to just talk about the word fellowship in general. What does that word mean? And while it doesn't serve the direction that I want to go in the lesson, the truth is that fellowship in its basic sense is these three things. Fellowship is spiritual. It's not physical. It's spiritual. Fellowship is not temporal. It is eternal. Fellowship is not observable. It is unobservable. It is invisible. And, and at, at first glance, I may be sabotaging my whole sermon with that. Because I just told you that it's going to manifest itself. We're going to be in worship together. We're going to be in homes together. And I just told you, oh, but by the way, the, the actual fellowship is not the homes. And it's not the church buildings. And it's not the handshakes. Well, stick, stick with me for a few minutes and see what we can do. Go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1. We need to understand that what we share in the Lord is not limited by time or space. What we share in the Lord goes beyond the boundaries of the flesh and the boundaries of time itself. And what I'd like to do to illustrate that is I'm going to read a few verses in 1 John 1. In that read, the word koinonia or fellowship will occur four times. And I want you to do something in your mind while I'm reading this. I want you to determine who you are in fellowship with. Who you have that shared, and that's what it means, shared relationship with. Let me begin in uh, verse 3. John writes, what we have seen and heard, what we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship, shared partnership with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, who is in fellowship with whom? It's all over the place. I am in fellowship with apostles who've been dead for 2,000 years, and I'm in fellowship with them right now. I am in fellowship with God the Father who is in heaven. I am in fellowship with God the Son who is in heaven. I am in fellowship with the Holy Spirit who is in a lot of places. I am in fellowship with these spiritual entities. I'm also in fellowship with Bo, who has a very nice jacket on. But it has nothing to do with our location because I'm in fellowship with my son Luke, who is four hours away and will be doing some preaching tonight. Hopefully uh, the Driscolls and I can get home by five o'clock and observe that tonight. I'm in fellowship with him. You're in fellowship with Christians in, in Haiti right now and in the room. So in a sense, this idea that, well, fellowship's physical and it's tangible and it's interactional. Well, it's, it's not. It's bigger than all interactions. 
It's bigger than any church building. It's bigger than even the constraints of time. It is spiritual, it is eternal, and it is invisible. So if you're on the wrong track, you might be going, that's my point. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to shake your hands. I don't need to do what the elders say because it's, it's all of this to me. Well, you ought to observe something that needs to be said here, and that is he is connecting our fellowship with our walk. Did anybody else notice that in the read? He is connecting our fellowship. If we say we have fellowship with him, but we don't walk in the truth, then our fellowship is a lie. So we should begin to see that while it is big and invisible, it manifests, this is what I want you to see today, it manifests itself and proves itself in tangible, physical ways. Now that ought to sound like something else to you. When I tell you that fellowship is invisible, eternal, and absolute, and yet it manifests and proves itself in visible ways, that ought to make you think about another word. That's what faith does. Faith is invisible. You can't see my faith. Did you know that the word faith in, I don't like to do the Greek thing, but did you know that the word faith in the New Testament is just the noun word for beliefs? You can't see my beliefs in noun form. It's in me. It's my conviction of things not seen, my, my assurance of things hoped for. It's my trust in God. Faith is invisible. It's spiritual. It's eternal. You have no right to judge my faith based on things that I do. Oh, wait a minute, though. Go with me in your Bible to James chapter 2. What we learn about faith is this, that faith that has no works is dead. Go with me to the book of James, James chapter 2. So faith you can't see. Check it out. You're going to need to see this. It's really big for what we're doing. You can't see my faith, but you have the right to determine that it is dead. And tell me so. If I am not proving it in a visible way. Faith is not the same thing as works. Not to me it isn't. Faith is here. Works is here. But without this, this is dead. Are you willing to accept that today? I need to know if you're willing to accept that. I need to know if you're going, okay, okay, I can tell you my faith is great. But unless I show you my faith is great, my faith is not great. I need you to say that to yourself because when I change the word faith to fellowship, I don't need you to lose me, okay? It's going to be true both ways. In fact, in James 2, I find it very interesting because it will connect with the idea of fellowship. When he gives this example in verse 14 about faith, he said, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing, if a brother or sister needs daily food or encouragement, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet does not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Do you see that? I mean, it's so amazing. If I tell you I have faith and you have no right to judge that I don't have faith, but there's a brother over here who needs help and encouragement, and I utter the fateful words, I will pray for you. And then I just leave, and I don't feed him, and I don't help him. My faith isn't invisible. My faith is dead. I need you to get that, that brethren have the right to look at other brethren and say, I'm here to tell you that I think there are issues with your faith. You have no right to say that. Actually, I do, because that invisible spiritual part of you is known by that which it does among one another. Now, I think we get that, so I won't work that point any further, except to say that that's true of fellowship as well. 
Except it ought to be like doubly true because fellowship literally is the partnership that God's people have with one another. Let me know if it not if this sounds silly. I have great fellowship with God and his people. I don't regularly go worship with God and his people. I have great love and concern and connection with the needs of the people of God. I don't think I've ever serviced a need of a person of God. Like that disconnect is going to lead a lot of people to damnation because their fellowship is dead. Now, let me show you a couple of verses before we get back to Acts 2 that help with this. I want you to start to see that while fellowship is internal and spiritual, it manifests itself in physical ways. Go to 2 Corinthians, please, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 talks about this. It starts to talk about the people we hang out with. Who do you spend your time with? Who do you like to be around? Who are your best friends? Who do you go places with? Well, fellowship will bear out in that way. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, please, and I'll begin in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. There's lots of discussion about this verse. Is it talking about who you marry? Is it talking about who you go into business with? Well, let's just look at it more broadly for a moment. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship? What fellowship has light and darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, stick with me, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, because all that is true, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. What's he saying? He's saying you and I are in fellowship. We share together. We are bricks, blocks, pieces that become the house of God, wherein God's temple today is his church. If that is real in you, it manifests itself in that you begin to spend less time with the world and more time with God's people. And if I'm not spending more time with God's people, if I'm not drawing out of the world and coming away from the unclean and look in verse 18, joining with the sons and daughters of God, my fellowship is fake. I didn't say your fellowship was fake. I'm not here to judge you today. You say you have no right to tell me the nature of my fellowship. Folks, we're allowed to observe the manifestation of your fellowship. And Determine if your fellowship needs help by who you spend your time with. Here's another example. Look in Philippians chapter 2. I'm just using a couple of koinonia passages, a couple of places that use this word. Look in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And then we'll go to Acts 2 and we'll wrap this thing up. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of spirit, if any affection and compassion, and I really want to pause there. I'm going to pause in the middle of the sentence. Paul's sentences are eternal, so you have to pause sometimes. Oh, man, everybody loves verse one. People who don't come to church very much, people who I'm seeing for the very first time in this last hour, like they love verse one, though, like love and encouragement and fellowship and affection and compassion, and it feels all very emotional and it feels all very spiritual and very important. But keep reading. If those things are even real, if they're more than just words, 
Then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united with others in your spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. We could keep going. Have the attitude in you that Jesus had. Jesus loved you, but the fact that he manifested his love is the reason that you're saved. And if Jesus hadn't manifested his love by giving himself for you, you would not be saved. In like fashion, Christians, if we, if we really share affection for each other, if we are truly in fellowship, then that must be manifested by self-sacrifice for the good of our Christian family. I got to be real with you guys. I'm leaving here in an hour anyway. You can just make sure you never write my name down again. But I'm concerned, man. I'm, I'm, con- I'm just concerned that the church is becoming a very consumeristic idea. You show up to church when you want. You get what you want. You leave. You go home. You just do what you want. And if what you want is to come to church all the time, just one of those weirdos just loves to go to church all the time, then go do it. But the key is just always kind of do what you want. That's just not what this is. This is, this is a fellowship. And, and it's actually defined, where you hear for the giver's part, like it's actually defined by giving up what you want for who we are. You say, well, you can't judge me. Stop judging me. Who do you think you are? I'm just, I'm, just a, I'm just a loser that the Lord is saving by his grace. But I know that fellowship is only as real as what can be seen. Now, if you're with me on that, I want to finish with three thoughts, and they're all in Acts 2. Go to Acts chapter 2 then. Let's just take a look at the early days. I can't give you my own list and say, well, let me tell you what it's supposed to look like, and let me tell you how it lives. I don't want to do that for you, but I, I can show it to you. I can show it to you. If our fellowship is real and alive, and, and by the way, let me just throw this in in case I forget. If you leave here today and you're just kind of shook by all this and you're going, man, I, uh, I don't know what my fellowship's like because I don't, I guess I'm not determined to do all that stuff. And I don't, those three things you put up there, they're not a real priority in my life. Look, I could like lecture you for an extra hour. We could have a phone call or whatever. But were you here an hour ago? Because I think what you really, as we go through this, ought to be asking yourself is, who is here for the class? What do you believe? What do you, what, do you, what do you believe? Who is Jesus to you? How much, does, how much do God's people mean to you? What is this for you? Like, that's where it all goes. But once we determine what we believe, Acts 2, here's what it looks like. Let me start with something really easy, some nice low-hanging fruit. Yeah, God's people go to worship, and they love to go to worship. Like that's what we learned right off the bat. That's one of the first things that we learned because we get in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, and we have 3,000 souls, and they all come up out of the water, and immediately they're devoted to things. And there's not a lot we know about verse 42, but I think what we tend to say seems accurate to me that they were continually, like ongoingly going, let's go learn more. I want to learn the apostles' teaching. And fellowship here is used in kind of a noun form, like let's go share. Whatever sharing is, let's go share. And the breaking of bread, which is probably the Lord's Supper in verse 42, and praying together, a spiritual thing. But there's more, verse 46. It wasn't just a Sunday thing. There's more. In verse 46, day by day, Friday night, Saturday before lunch, Saturday after lunch, Sunday morning, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. God's people wanted 
to worship together. They yearned to do it because when we worship together, we get to learn together, one mind. We get to remember Jesus together. We get to pray together. And, and that is a super priority for people whose fellowship is healthy. So if that's not a priority for you, I'm not going to say your fellowship is dead, but it is not healthy. And, and going away, going, that preacher had no right to say that because I know that like worship isn't maybe what it ought to be to me, but I'm telling you my connection with God is strong. I am questioning that conclusion today. I'm questioning that conclusion because their connection with God manifested itself in this way. I want to show you Acts 4. We're going to do this a couple of times. A little bit of Acts 2, a little bit of Acts 4. I want you to see a beautiful little impromptu worship service. I don't know what time it was or what day it was in Acts 4. Maybe it was Tuesday at 2 o'clock. But in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are out preaching the word and they get detained. They're threatened. They're released. And in verse 23, when they had been released, they went to their people and they said, here's what happened to us. Here's what the chief priest said. Scary. And what I want to read for you is verses 24 through 31. This is a worship service. This is what they instinctively knew to do. We're, we're threatened. Life's hard. This is scary. They immediately were drawn to worship to explore their fellowship. Read it with me. I think you're going to like it. When they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. And they said, O Lord... It is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, God, it's you who said, why do the Gentiles rage? Why are the peoples devising futile things? And why do the kings of earth take their stand? And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. God, truly in this city, Lord, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. There was Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the Israelites to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Three more verses. And now, Lord, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, when they had worshiped, they'd worship. They were singing. They were quoting scripture. They were studying. They were praying. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Is that what worship is like for you? Is it like a place sometimes where you just barely stumble through the door, like you just barely made it? I'm talking about because of life. And yet you start singing together and you're praying together and you're reading the word together and you just start to feel stirred by this fact that we're in this together and, and we can help each other and the Holy Spirit fills you and the whole place shakes. I've been in some buildings where the place started shaking, folks. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had a prayer service at our church where different shepherds of ours led prayers, uh, praying over the names of the people who needed it. And we were leading some songs and I was doing some preaching. And I mean, I just felt just tingly all over and just like this is this is the most important thing we've ever done. And I don't know if it was or not, but it felt like that night the whole place just completely started shaking from its base. Like that's what worship is supposed to be for God's people. And that's what it always was for them. And if that's not how you feel about it, some of it is churches need to reevaluate the nature of their worship and make sure that it, it allows for some emotions and it's, it's encouraging of it. But also, we just need to make sure that our fellowship with God's people is healthy. I, I want to show you a verse. You guys, have you guys ever heard of Hebrews? Has any preacher ever taken you to Hebrews 10 when preaching on church attendance? Is this the first time? It's probably the first time. If you just very, very quickly go to Hebrews 10, and then I'll leave it. Hebrews chapter 10. Everybody knows Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I'm not, hey, I'm not even going to read it. 
I'm not even going to read like not forsaking our own assembling together is his habit of some. I'm not even going to say that. But I do want you to grab a pen. I need everybody to grab a pen. I mean a pen, not a pencil, a pen. Grab a device. For once you have written this down in your margins, it will never be erasable. It exists for all eternity or until you leave the Bible on the top of your car when you leave the services. If I understand verse 22, that worship is an opportunity to draw near with fellow believers. And I understand verse 23, that worship is a place where we share our confession and we bolster our hopes. In verse 24, I understand that being with you is how we stimulate and interact and share and encourage. When it comes to the assembly that our elders that we've subjected ourselves to have decided for us, do you have your pen ready? Beside verse 25, I want you to write down three letters. You ready? Who trusts me? Do you trust me? Write down the letter D. And beside it, write down the letter U. Into it. And then the letter H. Let's go back to Acts 2. All right, Acts 2. We've got two more we want to look at. I mean, duh. Like, the most obvious thing that could exist in the world is God's people are meeting to celebrate who we are and where we're going. Tell me what in the world matters more than that. That ought to be our hearts for worship. I want to give you a second thing, though. Worship isn't all of it. And I think sometimes as preachers, we make a mistake on that. We kind of act like the end-all, be-all is if your fellowship is healthy, you will be at worship. But there are a lot of people at worship who feel alone, who feel detached. And so there are other things involved here. So I want you back in Acts 2, and we'll look at this. In Acts 2, it wasn't just that. It was also verse 43. Everyone, here's what fellowship looked like. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, Acts 2, 43, signs and wonders taking place through the apostles. All of those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Here's the second thing. God's people take care of the needs of God's people. May it never be, please God, look down upon us and make it so. May it never be that a church of believers prioritizes being at worship together, but not supplying the needs for the people with whom we worship. God, may it never, ever be again. How hypocritical is that? How awful is that? To say, you need to be at church, and you need to be at church. We've all got to be at church, and your fellowship isn't real unless you're at church. And I'm pointing to someone who has all kinds of needs in their life, who, who's having trouble paying their bills, who's having trouble getting through some depressive state or some broken family thing. And I don't even really care about that. I mean, I don't know. Just be at church. That's so hypocritical. Fellowship is not just be at church. Fellowship is be a helper and supplier of the needs of God's people. What you'll find is they were all in Jerusalem and they were staying much longer than they intended to stay. And so they didn't have food and they didn't have money and there wasn't places to stay. So God's people are like, we're here to help. And so they started sharing all their goods with each other in chapter four. And they, they had all these things in common and everyone's needs were met. Go to Acts four. I told you going to kind of parallel a lot of Acts 2 and Acts 4. In Acts chapter 4, I want you to look down in verse 32. Tell me why the church was growing. Are you ready? I'm going to show you why the church was growing. They must have had great worship services. No question about that. The apostles were doing incredible things, but it wasn't just the worship. Fellowship is manifested in other ways, and here is one of them. In verse 32, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Isn't that awesome? What a great phrase. One heart and soul. That feels very vertical to me, like one heart and soul. But watch. 
What do you mean one heart and soul? I'll tell you what I mean. I mean that not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. They were sharing their goods. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. How was abundant grace above them all? Keep reading. For there was not a needy person among them. No one, not one member. Thousands of Christians, no one hungry. Thousands of Christians, no one destitute. Thousands of Christians, no one trying to face it alone. For all who were owners of lands or houses, just sell their houses. Incredible. And just bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they were distributed to each as any had need. And you know what happened after that? You know that Joseph, who was named Barsabbas or Barnabas, he sold his goods and he gave them away. Very interesting story about the two in the next chapter who wanted the recognition but weren't willing to be sacrificial to get it. You can go to Acts 6. The church was using the funds to buy food. Church was in the food business. What do you mean? I mean that there were believers who were hungry. Listen to me carefully. The value of our worship will only be as strong as the interactive sacrifices and need fulfillments of the person in pew seven with the person in pew nine, like the idea of sharing and helping and growing. And, and please, and it was said this morning so wonderfully, don't think that that's just a contribution thing. You leave here and go, you know, my fellowship is real. I'm going to put 50 more dollars in the plate next month to show that. Well, that's cool, but you know better than, than that, right? When we talk about physical needs, we're not just talking about this treasury. I do think, and I don't know, I mean, there are good elders at this church. I'm sure there are great elders at this church, but there are a lot of churches where the only way a member would ever get written a check out of that treasury is after they've completed a hundred questionnaire and like their whole like history has, I mean, we're, we really need to think about how liberally we help Christians who need it. I know they made a mess to get there. That's kind of why they're in the mess. But we need to help. But it's not just the treasury, is it? It's about Christian sharing. I'm going to give you one quick passage here. Go to 1 Peter. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and following. 1 Peter 4. I guess you were here maybe on Wednesday where we looked at Matthew 25. I've got to be honest with you guys. Matthew 25 is super scary to me. I mean, what if Jesus is serious? You say, well, Jesus is also serious. Let me say it again. What if Jesus is serious about this? What if Jesus was telling the truth? You say, Jesus always tells the truth. Well, I kind of hope not. Because in Matthew 25, Jesus said that on the judgment, I will separate the goats from the sheep based upon, you ready for this? I don't think I'm ready for this. Based upon what they did when they saw their brothers and sisters hungry. Based on what they did when they saw their brothers and sisters hurting. Based on what they did when a brother or sister was thrown in prison or sick. What if he's telling the truth about that? What if he's going to determine my fellowship with him based on what I did when you were sick? Or what I did when, when you were going through problems? In 1 Peter 4, we need to understand how important that is. In 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 8, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another. Be hospitable. Be hospitable to one another with mild complaint. Be hospitable to one another with out complaint. Isn't it? Oh, let me talk to the strong people out there. Not you weak people. Just close your ears for a minute. I want to talk to the strong people. Just the strong now. Isn't it tiring always having to take care of those weak people? Sorry, guys. Just give, give me a minute here. I'm pep talking the, the core. <laughs> Isn't it fatiguing how you have to keep doing all the work? 
going the extra mile, helping them through this. They need this. They need more money here. They need more time. Like, when are they going to shape up? Be careful. That is exactly what we're here to do. We're here to serve and help and bring them along and build relationships and be hospitable without complaint and be fervent in our love for one another. And if you have a special gift in verse 10, if it's serving, then serve. If your gift, verse 11, is to speak, to encourage, then speak, verse 11. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. And by the way, I was totally messing with you about that strong, weak thing. That's a very relative term. We all have strengths, and yet you can flip Romans 14 on every person in this room, and all of a sudden I'm the weak one. The point is, we are all in need of each other. Please, let me talk to those on the other end. Please don't be someone who comes to worship and goes home and wonders, like, why aren't people interested in my needs? Why don't you let your fellowship live a little bit and go build some relationships with Christians and share those needs with them? Like, that's what God's people do. We're never in this alone. Now, let me take you back to one final thought here, physical provisions. And I think about this a lot. I'm not just trying to get on to everybody here. I think about this a lot. If I face Jesus today, if I'm on the ride home and I got an hour to get there and Jesus comes back and everywhere we are, we face him. And he says, Chris, I just have to tell you, I'm going to let you in based precisely on the things that have come out of your pocket the things that have come out of your life, the time that you have given up just to help my fellow brothers and sisters get stronger. Based on your service record, that's all I'm going to go on. I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm ready. But I'm going to go, God, you know I love you. You know I love you. You know how much I love you. God, I love you. And God's going to say, I know you, I know you love me, but do you, like, love me? And I just want to do better. And that's why I'm preaching these lessons. You say, why is this guy in here? They're always like stomping on my toes. Are you kidding me? I'm here because I need to get better in the name of Jesus. And I think we all can do it. Let me give you one third and final thought. Acts chapter 2. And I changed the wording on this just a little bit. I think I did. Yeah, I did. Just a little bit because I don't want to lead you in the wrong direction here. But I want you to see one final thing. I'm going to go ahead and put it up there. It was very important that God's people spent time together outside of worship. Very important. How important? Let me go ahead and make a statement that could potentially get me in trouble. Are you ready? I want you to look at the list of three things up here. And I want you to tell me which one's most important. Which one is the most significant? If you had to choose one of the three to show, hey, my fellowship is real, which one is most important? Most of us might say, notice how I use like language, most might, worship. I don't believe that's true. Oh, no. Chris just said that us hanging out and having meals is more important. Do the playback. I did not say that. But all three of these are equally needful for a healthy fellowship. Worship is where it all began and and learning about our needs. But look in Acts 2. In Acts 2, it says that they were worshiping together. and, And then it says, verse 44, they were giving and selling and helping. But then look at verse 46. Day by day, worship, continuing with one mind in the temple. But listen to the rest of it. And breaking bread from house to house, showing hospitality without complaint. They were taking their meals together 
with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Folks, this is where we got to come out of this COVID thing and we just need to re-up our commitments. I am not advocating for, and I don't think I need to say this to you, but I'm going to stand in the disclaimer spot. Let's call it here. I'm not saying that it is a work of the church to provide meals for personal interaction. I'm not talking about your, that's kind of the point today. I'm not talking about the, what goes in the treasury. I'm not talking about the church building. We come here for worship. The building was built for worship. We worship here. So I'm not saying, well, he's saying that the church, the work of the church is. I'm not saying that, and you know I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, on the same day that God's people began to manifest fellowship, these things aren't fellowship, by the way. They're not fellowship. They are the manifestation of fellowship. They immediately began to manifest their fellowship in worship. They immediately began to manifest their fellowship in caring for one another's needs. And they immediately began manifesting their fellowship by opening their homes, sitting at a table together, having conversations and meals and learning about one another. They did that immediately. In fact, if you go back over to Acts 4, this gets overlooked sometimes, but before they hopped into this impromptu worship service, which is so cool, in Ephesians 4, 23, and they're, they're praising God and they're praying, the whole place is shook. It started with a conversation. It started in Acts 4, 23, after Peter and John had been released, they went to their people. I don't know if they're eating a meal. It's not about the meal. It's about the interaction. They meet with their people and they say, hey guys, let me tell you what happened to me today. Let me tell you what the chief priest said. And they're like, whoa, that's serious. Let's go worship. And then they went to worship. Quick question for you. In Acts 4, if they hadn't shared personally the story of the day, do you think they would have ran off and worshiped? I don't think so. I think the worship was a result of hearing each other. Now, I'm not talking about the work of the church, but I do want to talk about the foyer just a little bit. The foyer. Ooh. People say, yeah, we have people gather early before church and they talk in the foyer, but that's incidental. It's an interesting word for me. And then after services, we're going to sit here for a while for 20, 30 minutes. We're going to be in the foyer and the parking lot and we're going to be talking, but that's all incidental. Folks, I don't know what you want to call it, but it ain't incidental. The conversations we have when we come into this building, the stories we share, the things we confess, the interaction that we have, is not incidental at all. The more time I spend in your homes, the more conversations we have, the better our worship becomes. I'm not saying it's a work of our church. I'm saying it is personally needful. And so my challenge to you is, if your fellowship is healthy and alive and real, open your homes or take the visitors out afterwards. Get to know each other. And everything will change. In fact, while all of these are equally important and worship, it all starts with worship. Let me ask you this question. If you, just just you now, if you doubled this week, if you doubled your energy in one of those three things, which one could you double your energy in and it would instinctively improve the others? Okay, I was really wordy and awful with that question. Let me rephrase it. It's terrible, terrible wording. If you doubled your effort this week on one of these, which one of those would definitely benefit the other two? Now, if you say worship, you lie. Because we worship for three hours this morning. We can double it. Hey, I will preach three more hours. Double dog dare me. But me preaching three more hours would glorify God. And we're here to glorify God. We're here to glorify God. But it wouldn't, 
It wouldn't take care of many people's needs, except they'd be a lot hungrier when we were done. And it wouldn't build our relationship. If you double your effort to know your fellow believers, to spend time with them, to have them in your home, to build a friendship, if you doubled your effort in number three, look at number two, would you have a better idea of people's needs? And would you be more emotionally invested in meeting those needs? And how would worship be when you smiled at each other when you walked through the door? Because you know them, and they know you, and you love them, and they helped you. And we are a family worshiping, not just a bunch of people who meet on Sunday. God has an awesome plan for us. Those three things aren't fellowship. Fellowship is invisible, spiritual, eternal. They are the manifestations of fellowship that prove that what is in us is, is real. Let me finish with this final thought. Acts 2, Acts 2, you guys have been so great this weekend. Thanks for letting me preach and teach. Most importantly of all, I pray that God is glorified, and if he isn't, that corrections will be made so that he can be glorified. And I'm thankful that we got to glorify him together. In the end here in verse 47, it says they're doing all three of these things. You just saw it. And as a result, they're praising God, and they're having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Folks, listen, people wanted to be a part of this. It wasn't a burden to go to church. It wasn't a burden to spend time with God's people. It wasn't a burden to sell your own property and give it. People wanted to be a part of this, but it was all of this working together. And I told you when we first got here, I hope that some of this becomes evangelistic and you can talk to people and say, hey, you need to join the church because the church is this beautiful fellowship and there's all these great things about it and we, we worship emotionally and we take care of each other and we, we love to spend time together. But let's invite them to something that's real. Let's make sure that what we're inviting them to is what their experience will actually be when we get here. I want to finish with a quote from a guy named James Clear. James Clear, not a religious guy, had no religious connotations in his language, and yet I feel like as we leave here today and you think about the direction of this church in the future and what fellowship looks like, this quote may help. Think about it evangelistically, because it was working. The church was growing. Listen to this carefully, please, and we'll be finished. Convincing someone to change their mind is really the process of convincing someone to change their tribe. If they abandon their beliefs, they run the risk of losing social ties. You can't expect someone to change their mind if you take away their community also. You have to give them somewhere to go. Nobody wants their worldview torn apart if loneliness is the outcome. That's strong. The church is a tribe, a family. We love each other. And we're asking people to, to leave, friends and family, maybe, maybe, but not to be alone. To join a fellowship that is flourishing in the way that we manifest God's plan in this life. And the church will grow. It will but it starts in the hearts of every person listening to me speak. And so I ask you to consider your heart today. If fellowship for you has turned into something that is purely between you and God and not seen by those around you, then I pray that you will confess of such and that you will manifest.